Hello and welcome to the Revive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazinga. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. Pastor Todd has started a four-week series called Get It Together, Reviving Your Marriage. This series is unlike any marriage series that you have heard before. He takes us on a journey through Scripture and also into Holy Spirit revelation about God's design for marriage. The most important issue in marriage today is that we don't understand the roles of husband and wife. 90% of the problems in marriage come down to one thing. The design is wrong. Once we understand how marriage was designed to work, it becomes easier to have a successful marriage. Part two in this series continues the deeper dive into the role of the husband in marriage. Looking deeper into Ephesians 5, we find that the husband's role in marriage is that of Jesus and how he relates to the church. Jesus was able to claim his bride when he died for her. Just as Eve was created from a rib from Adam's side, Jesus was pierced in his side. Just as Jesus presents his bride in perfection to himself in glory, so the husband must honor his wife, nourishing and cherishing her. Pastor Todd takes us another step through God's design for marriage as he finishes showing us God's design for a husband. Let's get into this. Be sure to listen to the end for some important information. So I'm going to start by doing a quick review of what we learned last week as we began through Ephesians 5. We know that God designed the marriage and that the marriage is supposed to be husband to wife in the same way that Jesus was to the church. That's a critical, critical piece of information. And that the majority of the responsibility for the marriage falls to the husband. Now, I got some grief about that today, all right? But let me show you some of the ways if a husband is supposed to be the same to his wife as Jesus is to the church, who had the majority of the responsibility in the marriage of the church to Jesus? Jesus. The majority of the responsibility for our marriage to Christ fell on Christ. How so? Without the bridegroom, there can't be a bride. Without his beating and his death on a cross, we cannot be forgiven and healed. Without his resurrection, we cannot be justified from our sin. And without his constant interceding before the Father on my behalf, I don't have that relationship and all I had to do as the church was put my faith in him. In other words, Jesus took the majority of the responsibility for the marriage with the church. Husbands, you're taking the majority of the responsibility in the marriage to the wife. And listen, I'm just going to be I'm just going to give them more fodder for Facebook, okay? If you're complaining that the husband should not be held more responsible, you're copping out on leadership. You're copping out on leadership. I want you to consider this. If a sports team does not do well season after season, who do they fire? The team or the coach? The coach because things rise and fall on leadership. That's why husbands are more responsible in the marriage because they're the leader of the marriage. Now, if you don't want to be the leader in your marriage, you can abdicate the responsibility to your wife and I'll just call you a wimp. <laughs> now listen, I, I just want to speak truth. That's all. Truth. 
How many of you know a marriage where the wife is the leader? It's wrong. It's wrong. So this is what we learned last week. We learned Jesus shows the husband how to love the wife by how he loves the church. So this is what we covered. Men, as a husband, we have to give up our identity. I told you we become a new word. It's not Todd anymore. It's Toddenjan. Toddenjan. I don't have, it's not Todd by himself. You never consider Todd by himself. It's Todd and Jan. Uh, number two, we set our wives apart for what the Lord wants to do with her. That's the sanctification process. Jesus set apart the church for the work of the kingdom of God. As a husband, I'm setting apart my wife for the work that God wants to do with her and in her and through her. Number three, we as a husband speak rhema words of life into our wife from the Holy Spirit. The washing of the water of the word, that's the Holy Spirit. That's what we speak into our wives. Our responsibility, husbands, is to hear from God so that we can speak into our wife. So we're going to continue with Ephesians chapter 5. And this week, uh, we're still talking to the husbands about how to love a wife. I'm sorry, but it takes twice as long than it does to talk about the wife side. But we'll get to it next week, I promise. So let's go back to Ephesians 5. We'll start in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as, in the same way, like Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. That's where we got to last week. So this week, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So let's pick it up in verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory. Jesus is saying, I present to myself the church in all of her glory. So husbands, you should present to yourselves the wife in all of her glory. So two things to cover in that little vignette. One, Jesus presents the bride to himself. What does it mean to present a bride to yourself? I mean, hang on, because this is good. I love this part of it. Present in the Greek is the word parastemi. Parastemi. And parastemi means to place beside. To place beside. That's very specific. He places the church beside him to be the bridegroom. The bride is to be placed beside you. Listen, husbands, not two steps back and one to the right, and not ahead of you that she would be leading you, but beside you. Now, I want to show you how serious the word of God is about placing your wife beside you. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there wasn't found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused him to fall into a deep sleep or a deep sleep to fall on the man. And he slept. Then he, God, took one of his Adam's ribs 
and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her, the woman, to the man. Did you see it? Adam's wife, Eve, was fashioned from his side. Now, you got to ask yourself this question because these are the things that make it clear. Why did God choose a rib? Why did he choose to take the woman and form her from the rib? Why did he not take a bone out of Adam's hand? Because she was supposed to be a suitable helper, he could have helped her, and that would have been nice and picturesque. Why didn't he take it from the foot so she could in some way guide the man? Why didn't he take it from his eye so that she could see the same things he sees? Why didn't he take it from the shoulder so she could help carry the load? Why did he choose from his side? (laughs) I'll show you why. When does Jesus, in the chronology of events, when does he actually claim the church? What did he have to do to claim the bride? Listen to me. To claim the bride, he had to die for her. And there was a confirmation process that he was dead. John 19, 31. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies wouldn't remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came, and they broke the legs of the first man, uh, and the other was Uh, who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. Look at 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Are you seeing this? The bride was taken from Adam's side. Jesus could claim his bride once he had died for the bride and the confirmation that he had died was in his side. Again, you have to ask the question, why did the soldier pierce his side? Why did he not stab him in the thigh to see if he would flinch? Why did he not hit him in the center of the heart with the spear to make sure that the heart had stopped and he was dead? Why not somewhere else? Because in his side was a picture of the claiming of the bride. Mm. Listen, the price for the bride is a piercing in the side for both Adam and Jesus. The wife's place is at your side always. Watch. It is where she came from and where she should always be as a bride. (laughs) Come on, come on. Then we go on. That he might present to himself the church in all of her glory. Now remember, we're talking about Jesus and his bride and how that compares to you, husband, and your bride. And the word glory in the Greek is in doxus, and it means to be held in high esteem. Jesus holds his bride, the church, in high esteem. 
And I want you to think about Jesus holding you and me in high esteem. That doesn't seem to really calculate for me. Not when I look at the comparison of who Jesus is and who we are. Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the perfect one, the Son of God, the creator of all the universe, the one with all authority, everlasting to everlasting, majestic, worthy of all worship, the Alpha, the Omega, the advocate for all men, the bread of life, the deliverer, the high priest, Emmanuel, the Lion of Judah, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the Rock, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, and he holds you in high esteem. I'm so confused by that. I'm so confused by that. Because what does that say about the husband who is pot-bellied, starting to bald, out of breath, getting out of bed, can't find his keys, high-top white socks with khaki shorts and black shoes, spilt gravy on his shirt, forgot to pay the electricity bill, who thinks a nice dinner is a fried bologna sandwich when he has this beautiful, loving, caring wife by his side. Listen to me, husbands. You ain't all that. Not compared to her, you ain't all that. You better be grateful she puts up with those smells you emit and the dumb decisions you make. Your wife is amazing. Listen to me. Every man in the room who's a husband, listen to me. You married above your pay grade, buddy. Every one of you. I'm standing here looking at you, and I know you married above your pay grade. If Jesus could hold us in high esteem and be who he is, it sets a clear path for how I ought to think about my wife. When I compare who I am to him and that he would consider me in high esteem, and I look at where I'm at and then I look at my wife, she's amazing. She's awesome. She's incredible. She's outstanding. She's perfect. She's beautiful. She's full of life and joy. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. Come on. So let's keep going in verse 27. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Let's swallow hard. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Ooh, it gets interesting here. It says that our wives are holy and blameless in our eyes. You got to love these words that he used in the Greek. Spot in the Greek, spilos, meaning no fault or blemish. Wrinkle in the Greek, hurtish, hurtish. It means a fold or a wrinkle. Holy in the Greek, hagias, a saint and pure. Blameless in the Greek, hamomas, unblameable. Husbands, you're supposed to look at your wife as faultless, without wrinkle, a saint, pure and unblameable. That's always easy to do, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Is she, is she, do you have a wife that never makes a mistake? A wife that is perfect in, yes, in all of her ways? Do you have a wife that never disappoints or disrespect? I don't think any of us actually have that. So why would God be asking us to see our wives that way? 
Because it's how Christ sees the church. Husband, it's how Christ sees you. And he's just asking you to see her like he sees you. Here's the bride of Christ as she is described in Scripture. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It, the church, was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us from the beginning before the foundation of the world that we church would be holy and blameless before him revelation 7 14 and i said to him my lord you know and he said to me these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation they have washed the robes and made been made white in the blood of the lamb isaiah 61 10 i will rejoice greatly in the lord my soul will exult in my father for he has clothed me with garments of salvation he has wrapped me in robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with garland and as a bride adorns herself in jewels this is how Jesus sees us as the bride. So let me ask you the obvious question. Who makes us white as snow? Who cleanses us from all unrighteousness? Who makes us spotless and blameless before the throne? Jesus. That's what Jesus does for the church. So the question is, is that what you're doing as a husband for your bride? Just as Christ loved the church. Let me ask it another way. Who takes upon himself the sins of the bride? Who becomes sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ? Jesus I don't know if you see it, husbands, but Jesus is asking you to take upon yourself the view of the bride that she is holy, righteous, blameless, pure, and spotless like he does you so that when the accuser comes, who will stand between the accuser and your wife? You will as the bridegroom. Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before God day and night. Jesus stands between the accuser and God on behalf of his bride. And he's asking you, husbands, are you willing to stand in the gap between Satan and your wife? Are you going to be the one standing there and saying, no, you will not accuse her. No, you will not attack her. No, I will not allow this to happen to my wife. Do you realize that what happened in the garden is that Eve was tempted and Eve was deceived by Satan to eat of the fruit? And it said that Adam was there with her and he sinned? He knew it was wrong. Why didn't Adam say, get out of here? God told us not to eat this. You can't tell my wife to do that. You can't deceive her and convince her. I'm going to stand here and tell you, your accusations are false, and I want you out of the garden. He didn't do it. 
That's why we're where we are today. And you as a husband will not allow accusations against your wife. You as a husband will not allow blame to fall on your wife. You as a husband will call her holy, righteous, without fault, because that's what Jesus is doing for you. Now listen, listen. You might have to have a little talk with her during some quiet time in the bedroom in the evening about what happened today, but not in front of anybody else. You got a beef with my wife? You better know you're coming to me. I'll speak for her. I may speak to her later, but I'll speak for her. I'll stand in front of your accusation and say, you're not getting to my wife. You're dealing with me because she's my bride because Christ does that for me. Christ does that in front of Satan and says, "Uh uh-uh, you will not be accusing him. Let's go to the next verse. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church because we're members of his body. Now, some of this is pretty obvious stuff about we love ourselves. We don't abuse ourselves. We take care of ourselves. So I don't have to necessarily go over that. But there's two words he throws in here that I think we do have to look at. He says that Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. Therefore, husbands ought to nourish and cherish the wife. Nourish and cherish our wives. Nourish in the Greek, ektrepho. It means, not what you think, it means to bring up to maturity, to nourish something. We always think of that as feeding. It needs to be fed and nourished so that it will grow. But this word is not talking about the physical. It says you're going to nourish by bringing her up to maturity. Does that mean wives are immature? No, not in the sense that we call immaturity. But the question is, does your wife need to mature in the things of God, in the kingdom of God? Yes. We're in the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to go back and look how Paul defines what is maturity. If a husband is to bring his wife up to maturity, I want to know what Paul is talking about when he says, I'm responsible for bringing her up to maturity. Ephesians 5, 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain a unity in faith and a knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now that's 10 sermons, okay? But this is what I want to say for tonight. Maturity is when we are fully equipped for the work of service, built up in Christ, and in the unity at the level of the stature of Christ. I will never be mature in the kingdom of God without Jesus. 
Why? Because he gave to me apostleship and teaching. And he said, I want to nurture you in that. I want you to grow up in that. I want you to mature in that. So as a husband, I'm looking to my wife and saying, God, what did you give to her that I need to help raise her up in, that I need to make sure she has opportunity for, that I don't need to squelch and say, prophetess, are you kidding me? I'm the man of the house. I need to say, no, if that's what you've given to her, how do I make sure she understands it? How do I teach her in that? How do I give her opportunity? How does she grow in that? Husband, that's our job to help our wives mature in the Lord. It's a big responsibility, but Jesus is doing it for you and he's asking you to do it for your spouse. This is what Jesus did for the church, his bride, to help his bride become mature in all things in the kingdom of God. So it's what we do as husbands for our wife. Jesus gave to his bride ministry, giftings, and fruit so his bride would be mature. And we need to think about the ministry, the giftings, and the fruit that have been given to our spouse and make sure we help her mature in that. Then the next word, my favorite word when I'm doing a wedding We're supposed to cherish our wives because Christ cherishes the church. The word in Greek is thraupul, thraupul, and it means to keep warm and foster with a tender care. So when I'm in a wedding and I get to that point, it's the awe moment. It's like it's been tough up to this point, but now all of a sudden a husband is to keep warm and foster his wife with tender care. Did you notice how Jesus treats the church in Scripture? Do you remember when the woman was caught in adultery? He was tender. Now now listen to me. He was kind to her. And what we learned last Sunday about kindness is that he told her the truth in love. He said, listen, go and sin no more. But none of these men are going to stone you. He fostered her with tender care. When the blind man cries out, Son of God, have mercy on me, Jesus stops and he heals his blindness. When Peter, who rejects Jesus three times at the house of Caiaphas while he's being questioned and and runs out and weeps about it, Jesus is resurrected, comes and meets with Peter, says, I know you denied me three times. Now I want to hear you say you love me three times. Yeah. What is he doing? He's rebuilding Peter. He says, I know you're broke. I know you're disappointed and ashamed in yourself. But once you declare this with your mouth, you will see that you'll be rebuilt. Jesus is only harsh to the Pharisees who were not to be his bride because they had rejected him. He told them they were hypocrites. He told them you're putting a burden on the people of God, my church. That's the only people he was harsh to. Other than that, he was cherishing. He fostered. So what is Jesus saying to husbands here? Foster your wife with a tender care. Listen, Jesus never had harsh words for the believer. He never struck the believer for any reason. Jesus was always growing and encouraging the believer, his bride. There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ. He doesn't speak in condemning words. He doesn't speak in angry words. He doesn't say, get that sin out of your life. He says, can I show you a better way? Can I show you what God has for you? Can I invite you into walking away from those things that are hurting you and moving into those things that are going to bless you and bring you joy and peace? He nourishes his bride. Finally, maybe to wrap up the message to husbands, he says this in 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Isn't it interesting that Jesus left his father to go be joined with the bride? But that first phrase, he says, for this reason, we just talked about all this stuff. And then he says, for this reason is why you'll leave your father and mother and be joined to your bride. Do you know that's a direct quote? Jesus is directly quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 22 and 24. The Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones. It is flesh of my flesh. And she'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. Look at 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. He is quoting in Ephesians the exact quote referencing that the wife came from the man, that they are from one flesh, that they were created in one flesh, that she is to be by his side, that Jesus claimed the bride by his side in his flesh. And because woman came from man, a husband should always see her as a part of his own body. We are one in the flesh. And I don't know if that sounds similar or maybe familiar, but if you look at Romans 12, 4 and 5, for just as we have many members in one body, talking about the church, all of the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, all of the member and all of the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. What is he saying? You came out of my side. We're one flesh. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew, Greek, slave, or free, we're all made to drink of the same spirit. So if you see how Christ relates the church to himself, he's telling us as husbands, you have to consider her as from your flesh, one with you. You're together, you're one. And then we conclude with verse 32. The mystery is great. Paul says, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So again, if you want to understand marriage, look at Jesus and the church. That will always be our foundation. That will always be our starting point. Men, when you're pondering, what do I do with this woman? Ask yourself, what did Christ do with the church? 
how did he treat the church? How did he deal with this problem? How did he deal with struggles? What did he do? He nourished, he cherished, he considered himself one. And so I've got to look and say, okay, so there are husbands out there saying, I can, I can hear you in the spirit right now saying, come on, preach pastor. Oh yeah. I got to treat her like the church, but guess what? She got to treat me like Jesus. Let me say it this way. You want her to treat you like Jesus, act like Jesus. Don't come up in here with your arrogance and your pride and your masculinity until you're acting like Jesus. She's not going to treat you like Jesus. So how should believers treat Jesus? We're going to talk about that next week. Next week, we're going to talk about now that we've established how does the husband love the wife? And let me give you a list. One, we give up our own identity. We have a joint identity. We are inseparable with her. Two, we set our wives apart for the what the Lord wants to do with her. We sanctify her. Three, we speak life into her, the rhema words from the Holy Spirit. We wash her with that. Four, the bride must be beside me because she came from my side. Jesus claimed the church. She stays at my side. Five, our wives are to be held in high esteem. She's all that. Six, our wives are holy and blameless because we take the blame. We stand in the gap. We don't let the fault fall on her. Seven, we raise her up to the full maturity of her giftings and ministries in the kingdom of God. Eight, we foster her with a tender care. Nine, we recognize that we're always one with her. Always one with her. This is how husbands love their wives. So men, it's finally here. Next week, we talk about how does a wife respect a husband? Because there's not a list of eight. There's a list of one for the wife. Men, you do these eight things. Wives, you do this one thing. Jesus, you do these eight things. You leave the throne. You come to the earth. You walk in humility. You do not sin. You get crucified. You raise from the dead. You go back to the throne. You claim your seat and you become my intercessor. And I do one thing. I believe in you as my savior. Yeah. So next week we talk about respect. And if you weren't here the first week, I want to leave you with this thought to prepare you for next week. Because next week's going to be hard. Because it's a concept that's foreign. I'm just telling you, we don't understand it in the American marriage. But once you grab it and apply it, it will change your marriage. Here's the thing I said last week that I'll say again this week for you to get ready for next week. Ladies, it is not difficult at all for you to understand the concept of unconditional love. I want unconditional love for my husband. No matter how much I mess up, no matter angry I am, no matter how I let him down, I just want him to love me. I want to know that unconditionally he is going to love me, stay with me, pour it out on me, be with me. But guess what? Your husband's not a woman. 
He's not a wife. He's not looking for unconditional love. This is going to sound foreign. He doesn't need it. What he needs is unconditional respect. And that's not making you a doormat. That's not making him arrogant and prideful. But what happens in you when you receive love is exactly what happens in him when he receives respect. And so what we've done in this world is we've called the husbands wives. We've said, what you got to do as a wife is unconditionally love this man. No, you don't. Do you know the scripture never tells the wife to love the husband? What we got to learn is what does this word respect mean? What is this thing that he needs that will make him feel like unconditional love makes me feel as a wife? And if I can figure out how to show him that respect, this is what's going to happen. Out of him will flow love. And you're saying, well, how does that work? Here's how it works. If he were unconditionally loving you in the way that Christ loves the church, would you have any problem respecting him? No. I use this at weddings all the time because I go through this set of scripture and I say, now listen to me, bride. If he loves you the way Christ loved the church as it was laid out here, will you have any problem respecting this guy? It's like, no, he'd be Jesus, man. He'd be incredible. But we have to get to the concept. And the concept is men are not looking to be treated like a wife. They're not looking to be treated by love. And too often what happens is a wife is trying to do for her husband what she wants her husband to do for her. But once you experience love as a wife, once he is pouring out, once he is coming to you and saying, I care so much about you that I'm just going to pour into you. I love you. I'll be with you forever. We'll do everything that God wants to do. I'll nurture you. I'll cherish you. I'll treat you and foster you with tender care. When you begin to receive that, you don't have problems respecting him. And when he receives respect... It's going to release in him love. I can show you love. Why? Because you're respecting me. Here's the crash. And we're going to talk about it next week. The crash is who goes first? Because this is what the wife will say in a marriage. I'm not respecting him until he starts showing me some love. And you know what the husband says? How am I supposed to show her love? She doesn't even respect me. Who goes first? We'll talk about that next week. God bless you. Have a good evening. Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at reviveusnow.com. What if, in our attempt to get something from Scripture, we are missing the point of that Scripture? What if in our desire to do better and walk our Christianity more closely in line with Scripture, we are missing what the Scripture is about. Pastor Todd's latest book, Flip the Script, takes a fresh look at what the Scriptures are meant to teach us about the Kingdom of God, so that application comes from spiritual understanding instead of behavior modifications. This new book is available now on Amazon, Flip the Script. This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida, you can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. 
If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com give. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue, Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.